Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi, and welcome to Everything is Fine, a podcast for women over 40. We are your hosts. I'm Kim France. And I'm Jen Romolini. Jen, how are you doing today? I'm doing all right. You know, I'm actually having a pretty good week. Um, I'm having a pretty good week. I am been more disciplined this week than usual, which is always feels like a fucking miracle um, when I can actually pull it off. I've been walking 10,000 steps a day. I've been uh, meditating in the morning and I've been weaving. I've noticed the weaving on the social media. I'm very, very, very impressed. I'm teaching myself how to weave. And it's like, I, last night I was just, I was up in this loom. I was weaving. <laughs> I was listening to, to, jazz. I was listening to some Dizzy Gillespie. I was like, what the fuck is even like <laughs> Dizzy Gillespie's great. And also I like, I have a hobby now that I'm like really deeply excited and nerdy about. Like I, I'm figuring out like all of these different like famous weavers and I'm like following them on Instagram. I'm like getting really into yarn. Like I, it's, <laughs> it's really fucking fun to have a hobby. That's not writing. You know what? I would love a hobby. I would love a hobby. I don't think weaving is the hobby for me because I don't think anything that visual could be my hobby. Interesting. Interesting. I like it just because it's visual. I'm like, oh, I've been making maps of the weavings before I before I weave. Yeah. Yeah. A whole map with like a color coordination. I have like a I have a a, a wool lady. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to come to your home and you're going to just have like macrame wall hangings everywhere, woven rather. Oh, my poor, everyone in my life, including you, poor people, you're just getting all these fucking, <laughs> this. <laughs> it's, it's 1976 all over again. It's just happening. It's just but it's macrame. also very 2023 Los Angeles. Yeah, it is. It is. It is. Um, it is. There's like a, there's like a wool shop um, on Vermont in Los Angeles. And for some reason, she's one of those stores that you have to like ring the bell, but she won't just let you come in. You have to ring. And it's like a very, like it's, it, it, she looks exactly like the lady who sells wool and like, I'm right. talking to her and I'm like, and I'm like, you know, I want to make the loopy things. And she's like, wait, <laughs> <laughs> 
I mean, I see getting into something like basket weaving. Yeah. I mean, look, I imagine sky's the limit once you know how to weave. <laughs> Just <laughs> rugs, like bath mats, it's all fucking happening. There's some place in New York, in, probably in Williamsburg, where you go in and like you loom a rug. Yeah, that's it. That's it. I'm going to need different size looms. I have one size and I'm going to need, I'm going to need several. Uh, there's going to, this is, I mean, I, I plan on doing this for a long time. This is my thing. Well, this is how, this is how really successful second careers get launched. <laughs> like, you know, so-and-so had a thriving career as a such and such and took up weaving to help deal with nerves and have a hobby. <laughs> Before they knew it, their friends were asking for them and then their <laughs> friends, friends, and then it becomes a sensation. Anyway, open, open to commissions. If you're, if you're into, <laughs> I'm, I'm still at the, what is that loopy thing stage, but you know, <laughs> I taught myself to fucking make fringe. I've learned five stitches. I think that's very impressive. And I'm not just saying that I'm very impressed. Thank you. Thank you. Anyway, follow this space for more updates on my weave, <laughs> my weaving of adventures, which I still keep calling looming, which is not in any way correct. <laughs> looming is something else entirely. How are you doing? What's up with you? You know, I'm fine. I'm in Philadelphia today. I've been here for several days. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. I like Philadelphia, but I wish I had even one friend here. Yeah. You know, because when I when Paul's got a lot of work here and I join him here, like I stay in the hotel, like I, 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 I work, I go out for a walk, you know, it's, it's, it's nice around where we're staying, yeah. but it just feels like, uh, you need to take yourself out for an artist date. I do need to, I need to go walk over to the barns. Why don't I do that today? You need to walk over to the barns, but also I have friends in Philadelphia. We can make, we can hook you up. We can get some friend dates <laughs> happening. I have some friends. Hey, <laughs> Beth, you could hang out with, with my friend, Kim, um, God, I would love to be in Philadelphia for the day. Um, you know who's in there's we have a couple of people in Philadelphia. Let's talk offline because there's actually, I think you could, I think there are people you could hang with that you'd like. Um, we had a very successful Everything is Fine live event last week, which I was very excited about. We did. It was really, I thought it was very successful as well. We had a really great conversation. I think everybody got some things off their chest in that conversation. Yes, I do too. And I think that's what I've, I've been thinking about these live events now, our Patreon live events as, um, as like therapy, like group therapy <laughs> sessions. That's the way I'm trying to conduct them sneakily. Um, anyway, but the other thing that came out during our Patreon live event last week, um, which by the way, there's also a, a special bonus episode up on Patreon this week, which answers, we answer all listener questions and there are questions we would not answer on regular air. But one thing that came up that I think we need to discuss is um, people keep asking me, they're DMing me about your glasses. And I think we should just tell the listeners where your glasses are from so that they will stop, <laughs> stop asking me. They're from a very small, very esoteric <laughs> brand called Warby Parker. They're really cute. They look really, really, really good. Um, Thank you. Well, they are, you know, Tally, uh, my former co-host, used to refer to these glasses as nothing to see here glasses. <laughs> Why? Because they're big? Because, yeah, because they're kind of like big horn rim frame, you know, like, yep, just keep looking. Wait a second. What are you watching on TV right now? I'm catching up on the other two, which I think I've talked about on this show before. Yes, yes which I think is very hilarious. I am tempted to watch an episode of The Idol, but I am assured that it is the kind of bad that doesn't reward watching. 
It's horrible. It's, it's hard. Well, I mean, uh, I mean, like, like euphoria is wonderful and like horny and like, you know, makes me feel old in the best way. I'm like, oh, look at these. Like, I just feel like I feel like a perv. It's like it's kind of like wonderful. It's like a very visceral. This is just like flat bad. And it's a lot of like that would never happen like that. Like there's a moment where, so it's a, the, the, the show, the idol, if anybody doesn't know is about a pop star, famous pop star who's recently had a nervous breakdown and is about to have like a comeback after this nervous breakdown. And there's like a point where like a vanity fair, uh, editor, who's going to write a profile on her. Did you, Oh, you haven't watched it shows up, shows up to her mansion to interview her, to interview the, the main Jocelyn is the main character's name. And this is like the first big interview, like post breakdown. And it's all about the comeback and all of her people, her handlers are there, but they just left the, let the vanity fair writer walk around the house, observe (laughs) whatever the fuck. And I'm just watching it. Like what the fuck? Like even the most basic, like, basic understanding of journalism. You understand that you're not going to let the journalist just like poke around the house by herself. Like you would just, you have four (laughs) publicists here. Like one of them would have eyes on the person at all times. So it's like a lot of things like that on top of the, on top of the sort of blatant misogyny and just the weekend just being like, oh, the weekend just way too in love with himself. So that's my review of the idol. Unfortunately, I don't know about that Lily Rose Depp, but I also feel like she's had too many fillers for her age. Also, opinion I feel. So why would anybody get fillers at that age? If your mother is Vanessa Paradis and you have that beautiful bone structure, why the fuck would you inflate your cheeks so that you look like a, a cupid doll? Like, I guess that's the aesthetic, but it's just, it's distracting because she doesn't look like a person. I mean, she's clearly, she would have been beautiful no matter what, like why, 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 why? Um, I am watching a show that I am really deep in and not very proud of. Um, (laughs) what you should know about me is that I don't watch much reality shows. Like I really can't handle them until the ultimatum. Have you heard of the ultimatum? Okay. And the thing is about the ultimatum, I'm very specific about the ultimatum. The ultimatum is a show where couples, longtime couples go on because one of the members of the couple has given the other one an ultimatum. It's time to get married or not. Like, all right, first off, just inherently fucked up premise just to begin with, like (laughs) marriage is going to solve all your problems, whatever. So what you do is you get on this show, you've given the partner an ultimatum. You then take on another spouse for three weeks, like a trial spouse for three weeks to see if you're going to either, by the end of the show, you're either supposed to leave on your own, which is what I recommend to all of these freaks, leave on your own, fall in love with somebody else, or decide that you're going to take the ultimatum and you're going to marry the person you're with. You've been with for a long time. Now, I know that there are heterosexual versions of this. I have no desire to fuck with any sort of like cishet men in the ultimatum department. Who gives a shit? (laughs) There is one season of it that is only lesbians. And I am like fucking here for it. And I'll tell you why. It's because women having conversations with other women about their feelings are so much more interesting than having a conversation with some fucking straight dude who doesn't want to get married. And 
these women, these queer women moving in with a trial wife is so fucking fascinating. Just watching the dynamics between women. I love this show. I am so obsessed with this show. I've been dreaming about it. So if anybody's watching the, the queer lesbian version of Ultimatum, please DM me so we can discuss because I'm obsessed. Where can somebody find this? I think it's just straight up on Netflix. I can't wait for the lesbian season. Get in, get in today. I'm telling you, it's a, <laughs> it's a fast, it's a fast ride. Um, and speaking of getting into things, we should probably get into our episode. It's really good. Our guest today is Sarah Schaefer. Sarah is a critically acclaimed stand-up comedian, writer, and artist. Her Comedy Central half-hour special debuted in November 2019, and she was the co-host of MTV's late-night show, Nikki and Sarah Live. Sarah's written for numerous television programs, including Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? And she won two Emmy Awards for her work at Late Night with Jimmy Fallon. Sarah's written a memoir called Grand and has had many satirical sketches go viral online. The New York Times called her new solo show going up ambitious and nimble and a feat of comedy. We're going to talk about that a lot today. And she's currently touring with going up in the U.S. and later this summer, Europe. Heads up, listeners in Copenhagen. Welcome, Sarah. Hi. Hello. Hello. So the reason I wanted to have you on your new solo show going up is... It's an hour-long one-woman show that's essentially a fake seminar that spoofs the comedy business and satirically teaches audiences how to make it in comedy. And it's like this brilliant work that involves miniatures, dolls, an extensive and elaborately designed PowerPoint, a fake call-in helpline, audience participation, and so much more. And I, I loved it. Thank you. And I want to know, how did it come about? Like, how did this particular work come about? Um, well, it was a really, I, I, it's just crazy to think now where it is versus what it started out as. So, um, I been working on it for over a year now and it really was inspired by this video that I made where I, um, it was like a commercial for comedy. Okay. Like just, you know, are you looking for something? Are you searching for something? You know, and then it goes to the levels and it was just a little short a couple minute long, uh, sketch I did. Um, and it really resonated. People really liked it. And then that sort of started making me think like, what if I expanded this into uh, an entire show? Cause I had been thinking a lot about how comedy, the comedy business, um, feels a lot like a cult or multi, like a, a pyramid scheme <laughs> and my frustrations with it were, starting to be expressed in that one little short video. So yeah. that's where the initial idea for the show came from. And I've never built, uh, well, <laughs> I, I'm like thinking of like times where I tried to do something ambitious like this when I was much younger and it failed miserably, but it's <laughs> the first time I've really done something like this, a solo show, writing it from scratch. Like, and I'm already in 20 years into comedy at this point. Right. Can you talk about any reason why maybe you couldn't have done it 20 years ago and you can do it now? <laughs> yeah. Um, well, first off, I, I understand now what goes into a full hour of performing on stage and just even the basics of like the energy that takes and how much time it takes to write material to fill an hour. Um, and, Cause when you're starting out in comedy, you're getting five minute sets to begin with. Then you're getting 
seven, 10, you know, that's all they'll let you do. Like you can't, <laughs> they're like, oh, we can't let you go longer than that. Like <laughs> everybody will die, you know? Um, and so you, you, as a comedian build and build, you know, and this is the American system I'm talking about in other countries, comedy is approached in a much different way, which is, um, in fact, me traveling to other countries into the festival system, for instance, Edinburgh Fringe Festival and Melbourne Comedy Festival showed me there's another way of doing comedy, which only further served to um, confirm my suspicions that like something about the American system feels very rigid to me. And uh, like, why do we have to do it one way? But anyway, generally speaking, um, you, you, you build an hour over time. And I think when I was younger and I tried to do something more ambitious in terms of like a solo show, I didn't understand the time it would take to actually develop something worth doing. And then on top of that, not having anything really to say. Right. Um, just as an artist, a performer and a writer, you know, what was my voice? And so I think not having that experience and skills back then prevented me from being able to do something like this that now I uh, have felt, you know, I mean, it's been hard, but uh, to, to start from scratch on a new hour of material, whatever it is, is, is very difficult. Um, most comedians, when they start over with a new hour, they'll pepper in the new material with older time-tested material and gradually work towards that new hour. Yeah. But me doing a show, advertising the concept and then being like, everybody come see me work this out. Like I remember the first few times I did it, I like literally had a binder open on stage, like reading a script and being like, and then there's going to be something here. (laughs) (laughs) It was like really humiliating. I was like, oh my God, I'm like not, I feel like I'm, you know, people expect more from me. And, but in those beginning shows, they were they were pitched as the, this is me workshopping something. So the people that came understood that. And I, but I can't, I'm so grateful to those people that came to those early shows a year ago where I was really working it out. Like, and the PowerPoint I have as part of the show is extremely elaborate. And when I say extreme, I mean, it's not just a PowerPoint, which is elaborate in and of itself, but it also, every single image you see in the PowerPoint is a miniature scene that I have built physically in the real world and then taken pictures of. So hmm. I made it every word that you see on the screen is a hand lettered, you know, I didn't just type in the words. I actually hand lettered every single thing and did almost like a, a makeshift stop motion animation for the entire um, PowerPoint. So, <laughs> so you're crazy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Were you like setting yourself up? Like, were you like, I'm going to make this as hard as possible? Is that, <laughs> um, well, you know, let's, if I'm really being honest, yeah, please. <laughs> in some ways I wanted it to be something that, um, that showed how hard I worked on it. You know, yeah. I think sometimes, mm-hmm. um, comedy we were trying we're trying so hard to make it seem like it's effortless and that it's coming off the top of your head and it's really not uh effortless at all it takes so much work and so um i think maybe i was this is the first time i've that's occurred to me is that by making it so intricate it was like a a proof you know a, a showing my showing work, type work of thing yeah of like you know um but i think also, it didn't start out that way. You know, in the beginning, it really was just a PowerPoint with, you know, plain text. And I, I 
been working with miniatures for a while now and uh, making miniatures, but, and always was looking and think, trying to think of a way to incorporate them into a live performance, but it was having trouble figuring out how to do that. And then maybe after the first or second time workshopping the show, it like the light bulb went off where I was like, oh, I could really make this. I could do it, do miniatures in this show. And at first I didn't know how I was going to justify that and make it make sense. But now it like completely makes sense. And it's like, so it feels very organic and authentic to the message that I'm like, if you wouldn't think like, how do miniatures have anything to do with the comedy business, but I make it work. I forced the issue. <laughs> Explain for <laughs> listeners who don't understand miniatures, yeah. what miniatures are. Like just, ex- I, I think that, I mean, I think they know it's kind of self, but I want, I want to really crystallize this one. Yeah. Right. So for me, miniatures can mean different things, but for me, it means dollhouse style, <laughs> uh, one twelfth scale miniatures, like little dioramas, you know, I had a dollhouse growing up. That's what started my miniature collection and obsession. And since then I have now like renovated my old dollhouse. I've built little rooms and I built a miniature comedy club and I've now learned how to make my own miniatures. And, uh, there's a huge, once you get tapped into the algorithm on Instagram of miniatures, (laughs) you realize how big of a how big of a world the miniature world is. But, um, um, I feel like I just read an article about miniatures somewhere because yeah, I remember seeing lots. Of, where was that? It was in the New York. It was in the New York Times. It was about the right. big uh, miniature show in Chicago, which I didn't get to go to this year. But I did go to uh, a, a show in Vegas in March, and uh, I'm I'm now fully. <laughs> I'm fully ingrained in the miniature community, which is a very interesting world. <laughs> <laughs> what is like a coveted miniatures piece? Like what is a, like, what is a piece that like everybody's like, oh my God, if I can only find the the sponge or whatever. <laughs> well, there are, there's there. It's interesting to see. Cause I experienced this at the Vegas show, which was a small show compared to the one that happens in Chicago every year. But all the vendors come, it's, you know, and they set up tables in like a big hotel, you know, event, you know, conference room type thing. And they have the old timey, they literally are like the old guard of miniatures, uh, like literally are dying off. Like when you think of like grandma, dollhouse, really intricate Victorian, uh, like stuff and dolls, that kind of old school dollhouse stuff. And then there's the new guard of miniaturists who are like, we need a miniature Peloton <laughs> for our mid-century modern <laughs> uh, shiplap <laughs> Joanna Gaines inspired dollhouse. Like now there's that world coming in and um, the miniature world is tr- also trying to open up to different. This is another thing is like they're very snobby about scale. Mm-hmm. So it has to be one twelfth. And now, but there's a whole world of like Barbie, that's one sixth. And so that's a different (laughs) scale. Barbie is bigger than dollhouse. And then there's action figures. There's, uh, so there's different scales. And and then there's uh, railroad, uh, uh, miniature. Yes, rail, yes. That's that's even smaller. I think that's like one, I want to say one, one forty-fourth or something, but it's really tiny. But all the materials and, and skills and way of thinking are all the same for all of those. It's just a different scale. And so, but they're, 
so now they're trying to be more inclusive <laughs> in that way of like, anybody can come to the miniature show, even Barbie people. And they're trying to open it up to more people. Cause like, we've got to keep it alive. We need to let more people in, but <laughs> you know, this, this may be a stupid question. It mm-hmm. kind of is, but I'm wondering if like working in the miniatures community and it hel- helps you feel like you're producing your work in community a little bit. Yeah, a little bit. I mean, I wish I was more involved, but mainly I'm involved online and like, you know, uh, following and commenting on, you know, and I'm in some Facebook groups, but those are like, (laughs) these ladies, they get very, if you try to promote anything, you're kicked out of the group. Like I was like, if anyone wants to buy this thing, they're like, absolutely. And I was like, if anyone wants to come to my show, they're like, absolutely no promotion. We're only sharing our projects. And I was like, okay. Um, but yes, I think learning, um, there's definitely in the miniature community, there's a lot of sharing of information and um, t- t- tutorials and templates. And like, you know, there's a cell, because it is mainly, it's a hobby for most right. people. And there are a lot of people who do make a living um, selling miniatures, uh, or doing, uh, yeah, I didn't even answer your question of like, what is a prized item? I would just say it's the like very elite, highly talented craftsmen, craftswomen who are making just insanely beautiful detailed furniture and, and items like that, that mm-hmm. are very expensive. Cause they're like, you know, like a little tiny handmade desk, you know, with like the little roll up, like old timey desk, like with the little roll up thing and like the drawers that work and like things like that are really, um, when you go and you, you can tell which people are like the true masters. You're like, Oh my God, how did you make this table that like opens up with the leaf? And no, I, know, they, I, like, I one time bought a table yeah. that I thought was a real table because it was priced like a real size table off eBay and it came, yes. And it came in, it was a fucking miniature. Okay. <laughs> that is so funny. Stonehenge. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> um, but on on miniatures, so you do this whole the, in the show, you do this whole thing with miniatures and it's like you're breaking down all the different kinds of comedy. And then you yeah. demonstrate all the different kinds of comics, right? Yeah. And it's it's hilarious, but it's also like this major peek at the man behind the curtain in comedy. Like I, mm-hmm. I've never seen comedy as this like formulaic, but now I'll never stop being able to see it like this. Can you? <laughs> I'm sorry, I ruined it for you. <laughs> no, like I- explain it a little bit because not everybody has seen the show, but I want them to understand this because it's so fucking good, and I, I, I can't replicate it the way you can. Anyway, go ahead. Well, yeah, I go through like I say, you're gonna have to zero in on your brand because the, the structure of the show is that I'm teaching you how to make it in comedy almost like in the style of like a multi-level marketing workshop of like, here are the layers and the steps and the levels, and here are all the terms and the abbreviations and all that. It's uh, There's a section where I talk about, you're going to have to decide what type of comedian you're going to be. And I will demonstrate all the different types for you now. And um, I go through each type and I do it every single joke in each type is about miniatures. <laughs> and so it's also the part of the show where you get to really find out why I like them and why I'm into them. Um, and I went in and into it at first, like I'm going to make fun and take the piss out of all of these, you know, tropes. And these are just tropes. These are just like, you know, most comedians are not so hollow in that they just follow a trope of a type, you know, but some do, some really are like just a, 
sort of manufactured version of a, so the different types would be like the standard joke teller, the one-liner comic, a storyteller, musical comedian, someone who does a lot of crowd work, someone who, uh, right, I go through a bunch of different types, but um, I went into it like, oh, I'm going to make fun of the tropes and do satire about each types uh, of comedians. But then I really became obsessed with like actually trying to do it well and do each joke to make it funny yeah. on top, like it, the, where I could just do it at a stand-up show and no one would know I was like, I could remove the entire workshop part of it yep. and just do. And, um, that is for some of the jokes, you know, for some of them, it, it, the joke is truly me making fun of the type, the format. Um, but it, that's very, it's been, it was humbling. Cause it was like, Oh wow. A lot of this is really hard to do. And these things that we find very simple or easy to make fun of, like, like for instance, um, everybody's favorite is the, when I do the act out comic, which is when a comedian is extremely physical and they act out everything and they do voices and they, uh, you know, they act like an animal and they run around the stage. And, um, that is, that section is really hard and it's, mainly because it's physically so exhausting. Like I'm so out of breath. I've had to really like work on like being my breath, being in control. And like, I think it's getting, like I'm actually getting a workout every time I do the show and that's keeping me like physically fit. But, um, but you know, even like a one liner comic, like the, the stuff is like way harder to master than um, I think people realize when they make fun of a, a comedian that's just sort of lazily relying on a trope or a, a, a style that is kind of old at this point or whatever. There, if you're really good at it, there's a reason people love it. You know, <laughs> it's because they're all hard to do, and I have nothing but respect for every single type. And I'm like also learning, like, oh, I've used every single one of these. That's one of the things I say in the show is like, I never really could figure out my brand. And it made me realize like, oh, I've dipped into every single one of these types, you know, I've tried it all. (laughs) Yeah. It doesn't seem mean spirited. Like just, it doesn't seem like a mean spirit, but it's very illuminating, you know, let's take a quick break from some ads. I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for, but you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. And we're back. I was just going to say the comedy business just seems brutal. And there's a point in your show where you describe trying to get time on stage at bringing shows, which Mm -hmm. are just what they sound like. You bring five customers and you get five (laughs) minutes. Yeah. Which just sounds so grim. Has the situation for comics gotten better or worse, do you think? I think some things have gotten a lot better since I started out. So for instance, I, I think bringer shows and bringer shows, what you said, you bring five audience members in exchange for like five minutes of stage time, which is not sustainable. And it's like, kind of, it's exploitive um, of the comedian uh, and their friends and family. <laughs> um, but those don't exist as much anymore. And also now there's a bit of push, especially in the, uh, in the more independent comedy scene, independently produced shows, there's more of a standard now of like an expectation of I should be paid actual cash to do a set instead of a drink ticket. You know, I mean, I probably didn't get paid to do comedy for the first 10 years of performing, not, not even a dime, oh my never, God. you know, and even now there's major clubs, not naming names, but major clubs, um, that pay, I'm talking like seven dollars for a set to like someone who's been on tv and has like netflix specials and whatever and it's like you can't share just a little bit more of the of the bar uh with the with the comedian you know yeah but the culture has changed a lot more really there's a more there's more of an expectation and more people are more you know like they're not going to book you on an independent show without giving you something and that is different uh for sure and I think in some ways it's gotten better for women comedians in particular. Um, it's not, it, it's old, it's old school now to be like, oh, only one woman or only two women can be on a show. It's weird if there's a lot of women, because it used to be when I started out, if there was more than two women on a lineup, they'd be like, what is this ladies night? You know, like it, it was like odd, you know, and they would make comments like another woman coming to the stage. Uh Oh, you know, and now that's just normal. Like a show could be all women and no one would say anything. Like if I was on an all female lineup, when I started out, it would be like, this is a specific women's only show and it would get mocked, you know? Yeah. Um, now it's like very normal and no one would even say anything about it. They'd just be like, Oh yeah, I'm at a comedy show and there's a bunch of women on the lineup. Um, there are some still some regressive areas of the comedy community and, and clubs and bookers that haven't got caught up yet, for sure. But um, it's a definite difference that I've noticed since I started out in that way. I imagine Me Too has, I mean, Me Too had a pretty big impact on comedy, I, I imagine. I mean, at least it did there on some, you know, some comedians were canceled, well, but not, not really canceled. But, you know, okay. So right. I don't actually know. I'm asking a question that I don't know that I'm like, I'm like, maybe, maybe it did. I don't know. Um, what do you, what you're the, like, what do you think? Yeah. I, I mean, I think, uh, you know, we tried, <laughs> we tried to get- to, to deal with it with the abusers in comedy and um i think overall it's been a failure <laughs> but and I, it's such a cynical thing to say but like i mean i think there's more of a 
I think the impact is more on the younger generation of comedians who are being taught and told like about behavior, about like, okay, we don't accept this type of behavior anymore, you yeah. know, and we're not going to let it get a- a- as out of hand as it would have. But I will say that like the abusive people that have been called out are fine. <laughs> They're performing at Madison Square Garden. They're, you know, and that's, uh, some people are like, well, what is fair and what is justice and da, 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 and like, uh, you know. And also like, what is comedy? Like, what do you get to say? Because we're in a, we're in this environment. I feel like yeah. there's, you know, this whole idea of someone determining what's not funny. Yeah. Like there's just a lot of gray. Well, they started, um, oh, this is one of the things that really fucking annoyed me about the Me Too conversation coincidence people would try to mix it with freedom of speech conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And I'm like, what does a a guy touching inappropriately or raping a woman off stage, you know, somewhere else have to do with freedom of speech like that? And people were literally conflating those two things and being like, they were asking comedy club bookers, like, would you still book Louis CK? And some of them were like, well, anyone, this is a, freedom of speech is the most important thing here. And we let anyone perform. And it's like, but what does that have to do with criminal or at least unethical, inappropriate, abusive behavior off stage? What does that have to do with it? And um, so that was very frustrating. And then there's been a few clubs that have like, and venues that have continued to book people that are straight up, like accused by dozens of people of, of, you know, uh, misconduct and like that has been actually one of the things of, of just speaking on myself for yeah. myself but also a lot of my friends that has been truly the most disillusioning like really upsetting where I would say in some ways it feels worse than it did from before me too because now they've doubled some places have doubled down and been like we truly do not care about you and not just as women, they don't care about anybody. All they care about is like selling the, the chicken nuggets to the tourists and they will book whoever they think will sell those tickets. But they have such a small view of what, like you're saying, what is comedy? And it's like, there are thousands of comedians. There are hundreds of headliners that sell out that are a draw that can sell tickets. Why do you have to continue booking this one guy? that's a pedophile, (laughs) you know, like take a stand, say you care. And and then it's made a a bunch of us have to choose. Do I ever go back to this club? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Just based on principle. Yeah. Or even like in LA, you show up at a show and, and, you know, a predator that has been exposed is booked on the lineup and you weren't told. And now you're there having to decide, am I going to like leave because I stand for something or am I going to stay because I don't want to be considered a diva? It's like, why are these being put on other people's shoulders and not the responsibility on the people, the gatekeepers and the people actually committing the crimes, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Was it, I mean, was it hard when you were young, like when you were coming into comedy as like a woman in your twenties, right? Was that, mm. what was that, what was that experience like? Like I, I, and somewhere in the show, you talk about how, um, you know, like someone compares you to Tina Fey, like they just, there's, there can't, there's not enough, there's, 
it feels like there was really like a scarcity mindset with women. Like there could only be, you oh, know, yeah. there can only, there can only be like one or two, you know? So talk about yeah. that. Cause I'm really curious about what that was like. Yeah. The, the damage I think that that did of like, when you were the only woman on a lineup, uh, or one of two, or, um, or if you were, and it wasn't just like, Oh, I'm the only woman on this show. There was in New York where I started, it was a lot of, there's one woman right now who's got heat mm-hmm. and she's the one we're, we're booking. She's getting everything. And it was never spread around. And, and it was just like a scarcity mindset and it pitted women against each other. It made women really nasty towards each other. And, um, and it was hard like I, and, but you were so desperate to have any sort of leg up because this business is so hard to make it in to begin yeah. with. Um, and so I would find myself hating just with all the, like the heat of a thousand suns, like hating certain other women who were getting ahead. And like, I saw yeah. it happen with my own eyes of like, I didn't really do this, but like where someone would tell me, Oh, we don't like her. And then they'd say, cause she fucks her way to the top. And then you find out years later, like she never did anything like that. Yeah. It was just a rumor. It was just like really petty stuff, Yeah. but anything to like, you know, get rid of the competition. And you know, that was, I was always pro woman. Like I always was suspicious of that, but it was hard to not get sucked into it because you were just so desperate to like get ahead and to not see other women as competition. I had to actively fight against that feeling because I knew that it was like wrong pretty early on. I was like, this isn't going to serve us. Yeah. You know, like meanwhile, while we're fighting each other, the men are just helping each other rise. Yes. Mm -hmm. And we should be helping each other. Now that is very different. Now women are way turned on to it of like, we, we help each other. And like, I make conscious choices, like at shows, I watch the other women perform I make sure I'm paying attention. I'm laughing and supporting because I noticed over the years that when men would perform, all the other guys on the show would go, oh, we got to go watch him perform, watch my buddy perform. And they would be in the room and, and then they would see the person and know how funny they were. And then they would talk about them. And then when the woman was on stage, they would just go out in the bar and talk and not watch her perform. And I remember like getting booked on a, a very popular show in New York, finally getting booked on it really wanting to make a good impression. I didn't give a shit about the audience. I wanted the other comedians to see me and to, to think of me as a legit presence in the comedy scene. And I got up there and I did my best material. I crushed. And then I get off stage and no one had watched me. They were uh. like all in the bar, not paying attention. And I was just like, well, it didn't matter. You know, and now they don't like have hype. I don't have heat. I don't have the hype around me. But then you'd be in the middle of a conversation with a guy in the bar and then he'd be like, oh, wait a minute, my, my buddy's on stage. He just like walks away from you. And you're like, oh, so yeah. I think women have gotten really hip to that and being like, and I'm just like, yeah, no, I will watch every woman. And when, and sometimes, and I shouldn't be this way, but when a man is performing, I'm like, I'm just not going to pay attention. Yeah. No, look, they have enough attention. They have enough. <laughs> right, right. I'm like, if I'm going to have to put energy into watching another comedian perform, I'm going to be selective. <laughs> you said something that really intrigued me. You said that um, if you want to be a comedian, funny has nothing to do with it. Yeah. <laughs> what does that mean in 2003? <laughs> well, I think 
that is one of the opening lines of the show. It's sort of my thesis. It's like my uh, (laughs) hypothesis that I put forward at the very beginning of the show. Like the central question of the show is like, what does it mean to be a comedian and who gets to be one? And if you are a comedian, and even if you're just a fan of comedy, you know, you will learn very quickly that people who are wildly successful have never made you laugh, (laughs) you know, and so you feel insane. You go, well, how (laughs) this person to me is not funny at all. It's like writers. It's like writing too. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Yeah. They have $70 million. Like how, what? And so, because you're also fed this opposite message, which is funny is funny. It's the most important thing. Comedy is a meritocracy. Talent rises to the top. But I can point to many, many comedians that I'm like, I've never laughed once at anything they've done. In fact, I'm physically repulsed by it. And even people that like, and I'm not even talking politically or, oh, they're douchebags, so I don't think they're funny or whatever. It's like, even people who like everyone else around me likes and is like uh, 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 in my lane of like thinking, I'll, I'll be like, I don't get it. And then you feel insane. You're like, oh God, everyone's going crazy over this comedian. <laughs> I don't understand it. And does that mean I'm not, I don't get comedy, right. you know? And so, but comedy is one of the few things where, where regular, regular people, RPs, it's uh, <laughs> a term from the show, um, where everyone thinks they their personal taste in comedy is comedy. And it's one of the few art forms. Well, I I would say it's probably all art forms, but in comedy, it's just something really personal, but people think that uh, they own it. And so they'll go, you're not a comedian. That's not comedy. And it's like, well, actually it is, but you just don't think it's funny. And I, I, I used to fight people on Twitter, like they come after me, like, you're not funny. I would be like, yes, I am. I would just reply, yes, I am. <laughs> and they go, no, you're not. And I'd be like, no, I am. I actually am. <laughs> and they, they just couldn't handle that. But I don't think you are. Well, that doesn't mean I'm not funny. It just means that you don't think I'm funny. <laughs> and I love getting into that like little, uh, the, 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 the debate of subject subjectivity in, in comedy. <laughs> and I especially love it in fellow comics who freak out when something they don't think is funny gets success. They, they melt down. Like I think Nanette Hannah Gatsby's uh, yes. first special was a great example. It, it, it was funny, it, but at some point during it, she, she stopped telling jokes and got serious. And of course that was, Oh, she, she broke comedy that very (laughs) that upset a lot of american comedians who feel like they own it and a lot of men a lot uh, of men it upset a lot a lot of men yeah some women too but a lot of men and they were like holy shit how dare you that's not comedy and it's like actually it was uh for part of it she tells jokes that get laughs now you might not think that's funny and i want to be like welcome (laughs) welcome to what it's like to be an artist right you know in a capitalist society right right I was I was watching I shouldn't say this because I'm calling people out but it's not like they're going to yes, do watching, it. <laughs> I was watching the core show of the Smartless podcast. Mm-hmm. You know the Smartless podcast is yeah, yeah. at How much money can they fucking milk out of that fucking <laughs> I I just they're not funny. They're not funny. I mean, I know that Will Arnett is fucking hilarious. And I know that Jason Bateman is also very funny. And Sean Hayes, other people think is funny. I never really have. But I've, together. I, yeah. I've never really even 
consumed smartless, but it's something that comes up a lot in conversation. So I don't, I, I actually can't speak to what I think of it, but even in my very close circle, there is disagreement. And, and, and I'm in a, in my close circle is successful comedians, some whom I think are the funniest people alive. You know, it's like, and even among them, they disagree on smartless. So I think it's, it's a taste thing. I think some people think they're really funny and some people just are like, I don't, I don't, this doesn't hit with I'm me. I'm just like, why, why, wh- what bank, how much money do you need? I'm like, you're doing the podcast. <laughs> I know, that's it. And now you're getting all the money for the live shows, but we have to also make it a show show. It's like, wait, couldn't I have just heard yeah. this in audio? I need to see it too. And not, I need to go yeah. see it live. And then I need to watch it as a, I mean, good for them. God bless, but fuck off. Well, that's the thing too, is like, there's just, there is absolutely nothing fair about this business. And, and it's when you start making money on things that are about your personal taste and some people's like, you know, it, the, a subjective thing on, well, some people aren't going to like this and some people are, I mean, that's all art or whatever, yeah. but some of it just hits with a very broad audience. And, um, you know, I normally appeal, it's, it's weird. Cause like, I think I convinced myself, you know, what I do is funny to everyone if they would just give me a chance and come to right. the show. But right. I think the barrier of entry with me is more difficult because I'm not the sav- business savvy person out there being like putting up a clip that just goes viral every, you know, that's the world we're in now. Or years ago, there was a different pipeline, which was the Comedy Central pipeline, which right. was you got to get those, this and then you get your half hour, then you get your hour, then you get your development deal. There was That was the pipeline for comedy stardom for most of my career. And then it like disappeared overnight when Comedy Central imploded and uh, or when like Paramount, they restructured everything. I wouldn't say implode. I don't know what the in- inner workings were, but it just sort of went away as to what it was, disappeared. And when Comedy Central was the main pipeline, I didn't jive for the most part with those particular three or so people who made the decision about you getting into that pipeline. And yes, it was very competitive. So you're also competing against so many other people to get through this little bottleneck. So every sort of port of entry of like comedy stardom, I have had difficult uh, but I say this as someone who has been extremely lucky. Like I sold a TV show that got on the air. Yeah. Like that is the, one of the most rare thing now, especially now looking back, one of the most rare things that can happen <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> for someone trying to make it in this business. So I say this with like full, but you know, now that none of that means a guarantee of like staying at that level as my career has but, shown. But, but, but yeah, I know, but this is, I want to bring this to a very like hopeful place because I, what I really yeah. love about this show is it feels like you are really great. Like your career is about persistence and every artist's career is about persistence. Every writer, ev- like every one of us, it's all about like, oh, yeah. what the fuck? I'm just going to keep going, keep going, keep going. Cause this is whatever. And I feel like this show is you grapple, you coming to terms with your careers, the, li- the your career, the limitations within the career, what you did, your self doubt. There's like this very heartwarming montage in the middle or toward the end about that shows you in your whole career. And I, you know, I actually got choked up watching it. 
Do you think a lot about like your longevity in this career or what it's like to be a woman over 40 in this career at this point? Because well, I mean, I felt like it yeah. was very I mean, powerful, <laughs> right? Yeah. That was like a lot of the undertext of the show is me grappling yeah. with those questions. And, you know, I mean, honestly, it is the, you know, one of the central questions of the show for me personally in my head is, am I going to keep doing this? No, you know, not just will they let me, but will I continue? Uh, to choose this life. And the question is why? If the business is so hard, why do it? And that answer changes every show. Like I really don't have that part figured out because there's a point near the end of the show. And this was a more newer development. I, I was actually for the first nine months of working on this show, the ending was very different. And I was stuck in that like structure of the fake pyramid scheme. And I was still in that world. And I felt so tired of it. And I could tell the audience getting tired of it, which is funny because like literally I am tired of the company business and the structures and all that. Yeah. So I changed it where I kind of break away from it and lean more into the personal. And that's been working so much better. But every show, um, there's a point where the question of why, where I am asked, why, why are you doing this? And I don't have that. Every other part of the show is very written. It changes over time, but it's written. But that's the one part of the show that I have never nailed down. And I, I think I'll just leave it be because every time I say something just a little bit different of like, why am I doing this? Because that's a, still an open-ended question for me. And, yeah. um, you know, I don't know. I, I feel like I've given up on a lot of dreams I used to have, which feels really sad. I'm going to get choked up of things I thought would be happening in my career, but now it feels impossible because of my age or like the way I look. And I didn't like go on the plastic surgery train or like stay a certain weight. And like, I was, I was very hot 10 years ago. <laughs> like, and that's because somebody was being paid to make me look that way for TV, you know? So I have to make sure right. I'm looking at myself with an honest filter of like, of what was going on then. But certain things of being on camera feel like those are gone for me Yeah, in a certain path of being a stand-up comedian. But also I can point to so many examples of people not doing it that way. And so I think I have to remind myself, you're just looking at it this way today because you're feeling yes. negative about yourself. And I just want to find a life where I am working on the creative things that I want to work on. Forget the money part of it uh, other than I'd love to pay my rent. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> you know, uh, yeah. and so that transition into this new way of thinking has happened over the past few years with the pandemic, with the strike, with, you know, like I'm, so I'm in the middle of all this stuff right now. And I do feel yeah. like, uh, it's an unanswered question of what the future holds for me, but I just, I don't want to give up performing, especially because this show is so special and it's, I've retapped into something really real for me on stage that I haven't had in a long, long time. And uh, I don't know where it takes me. I don't know, you know, cause it's not like selling a million tickets, you know, <laughs> I'm like every week I'm trying to come up with a new video. That's like, how do I get people to realize they're going to love this show? 
Like, <laughs> so it just takes time. And doing podcasts. They're going to love yeah. this show. <laughs> They're going to love this fucking show. But also just what you were talking about, like the fort, like this stuff, that's what we're all going through over mm-hmm. 40. Yeah. That's because also every fucking art now is being on camera. I like the other day I was like, yeah. how did I become a writer and a fucking podcaster? And yet I have to do straight to camera video and be like, hello, please look at my shit. <laughs> And like, you're like, I, I don't want to do And It's like, what filter covers my neck? It's just like, do I just like, you know? And well, it's, I was it's like going to put makeup on for this. And I was like, you know what? <laughs> Fuck it. I don't care. Like, and that's, you know, like, why do we have to put makeup on for a podcast? Like things have changed so much. It's so true. It's so true. And I like, I, maybe it's because I, I come originally from Texas, but I like any medium where I'm going to be looking at myself <laughs> at least once a time. There has makeup is just part it's, of it for me. Yeah, yeah it's no, beautiful. it's yeah. it's a whole <laughs> fucked up thing. Because other thing you really do that I loved, and by the way, I brought my um I brought my 13 year old uh, child with me to see your show, and so they fucking were obsessed. Loved it. Oh, like they're an aspiring, it. like a comedian person. I don't oh. know, but they, we were fucking excited. And one of the things we were both really into was silencing the inner heckler. Um, mm-hmm. You do this like fucking amazing, like you have like a little miniature of yourself who's talking to yeah. you. It's, 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 it's great. And you're obviously dealing with self-doubt. So what's your relationship with insecurity, negative self-talk? Mm. It takes a lot of confidence to get on stage and do what you're doing. Yeah. I mean, I'm the show has been very cathartic. Like it's very, very real. The stuff that I'm dealing with in that show, it's very vulnerable. And I've had, I did the show for a month in Australia in April, and it really was mentally extremely challenging because I was just there was just stuff about the show that I felt wasn't working. And that's what that I talked about changing that ending, leaning into the personal. And it was like very meta, like what the, there's so many layers of meta now in the show are like, no, but I actually am having this mental breakdown right now. <laughs> um, and working through it in my art, like that is, you know, I've done a lot of crap in my career. I've written for things. I've done things on stage. I've been in shows that I'm like, this is not me, but it's, paying the bills and it works, uh, where I wouldn't call it art <laughs> uh, uh, in the truest sense of the form. This feels like art and it's like a statement and I'm getting the reaction I'm getting by taking that risk is stronger than anything except for a few exceptions. But in terms of live performance, it's definitely the strongest thing I've ever done where people are like grabbing me after the show. It's like, instead of like, oh my God, it was so funny. It's like, brilliant. Like people are like, like they're having an emotional reaction to it, which is really special. And that, that helps me deal with the self-doubt, you know, but also I am like, uh, I just started medication. So that helps too. <laughs> we'll yeah. hope it helps, but you know, because I've been dealing with anxiety for a long time, but I realized like, oh, I'm letting myself like kind of go under a little and not like getting all the help I need. So that's the other huge part of it is like actually getting like help. Yeah. You know, that like, you're not just supposed to suffer in silence because I've convinced myself that everything I'm going through is not that important or dramatic. And I'm just being, I'm overreacting and other people have real problems, Sarah. Like that's what I'll say to myself. Um, that little voice when it comes to my own mental health, which is like a terrible uh, little spiral to be in. Cause then yeah. you're telling yourself not to, not to get help. 
Yeah. And uh, so that part um, has been, I, I like literally this was like as of yesterday, like I talked to my doctor and she was like, I think we could do something about this. And I was like, and I woke up today feeling I've just took, I hadn't even taken the first pill yet, but I was like, I feel good. Like I'm doing something. And I thought I would mention that just because it's fresh on my mind. And I think that we, there's a lot of self-help talk and stuff like that, which I think is very important. And I've done that for a long time of like in therapy of like, you know, how to deal with that inner heckler. But also it's like, you can also like call your doctor and be like, yes. am I a candidate for a pill <laughs> that could just take, take the edge off? <laughs> Sarah, what do you still want to do? Oh, well, you know, um, I still have, I still let the tiny little ember of big dreams burn just in case, you know, um, to not close myself off of like, what if I made a movie of this show and what if it like got critical acclaim? What if I won an Emmy award for it? Like things like that. I'll let that, I'll let that dream simmer on low. Um, and I would love to like write um, a movie or a TV show, the type of show or movie I would love. Cause all the writing for TV I've done has always been in the, in the like talk show, award show, comedy variety lane, which are all fun. And I've had, uh, like such great experiences doing that, but I don't really watch that kind of TV. I would right. love to work on a show that I watch yeah. <laughs> and love, you know, yeah. even if it was like Grey's Anatomy season 20, you right, know, right, like, right. <laughs> right. like I would, I'm, and that's just more of like, uh, and this is what I, this is the self-help part of this whole thing I'm going through right now, which is, and I saw this on a TikTok, I'll full disclosure, <laughs> I saw TikTok that made me come to this realization, um, which was like, you know, we're, we're taught to that life is about achieving things and achievement. And he's like, I think we're here to experience life. And once you start chasing experiences, imagine what you could achieve, you know, um, not to use it as a back end to get to the achievement, but just to prioritize experience. So like, I would love the experience of working on a different type of TV show. I would love the experience of seeing my solo show become a movie. Yeah. You know, I would love that experience and that, um, takes the pressure off a little bit and, uh, and maybe I'll get to do it. Maybe I won't, but why not try? That's the thing. What the, that's the whole thing because it, nothing's going to happen if you don't have a little bit, if you don't keep the pot burning, a little yeah. bubbling a little bit, yeah. you know, just yeah. a little, you have to have some hope, even if it seems bleak and grim, you know? Um, yeah. I think it's like, I want to just work on those types of things that now are like really deep of who I am or I'm connected to it in a real way creatively, as opposed to just fluff you know, just like, oh, I'm just a machine typing out a joke over and over and over again, which is fine if I need to make that money. And I get that even that is hard to find these days. That's why we're on strike. But yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, like, I think it's it, it could be a book, a movie, a TV show, it could be anything. And I would be excited to be working on it if it was creatively interesting to me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, everybody should go see Going Up. I love your show. Oh my God. I love you guys. Thank it's such you. a special show. Like it really, it's, it's a hard, it's hard for me to describe, but it really touched me and I've thought about it for weeks. <laughs> it is. That's why it's hard to tell people like, that's why that's it's it. It's not just the thing. It's so much more. Just trust me and come to that's, it. <laughs> that's it. And I, that's what, that's also yeah. what I would say. Um, thank you so much, Sarah, for doing this with us. <laughs> thank you guys. Thank you. 
Thanks for listening to Everything is Fine. We are your hosts. I'm Jen Romolini. And I'm Kim France. If you like the show, please subscribe, rate, and review. It really helps people find the show, especially on Apple Podcasts. If you want to support the production of the show and help us keep the lights on, please join our Patreon at patreon.com slash everything is fine. We do live events there. We blog there. We do special bonus episodes. It's a cup of coffee a month. If you want to follow the show on social media, we're at EIF Podcast on Instagram. We're on Facebook. We're on Twitter. We're on LinkedIn. If you want to email us, you can email us at everythingisfinethepodcast at gmail. You can find Kim on her substack, kimfrance.substack.com. You can find me on tidingletter.com slash Jennifer Romolini. The show is mixed and edited by the great Natalie Rivera. Thank you as always, Natalie and we'll be back next week. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs>